The Guardian. Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, providing creative tools that help you bring your ideas to life. Squarespace offers free domain names, customizable designs, and 24-7 support. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer code GUARDIAN to get 10% off. Hello, I'm John Plunkett, and welcome to a special edition of Media Talk. I know what you're thinking, they're all special. But this one particularly so, for anyone who has any interest in the future of digital radio, which is, frankly, everyone. On Monday next week, the 16th of December, the government's communications minister and front bench stand-up, Ed Vasey, will outline the government's vision for digital. It's been eagerly anticipated for months now. Will he announce a switchover date? No. New and improved plans to boost digital audio broadcasting coverage? Probably. More capacity for a whole load more commercial digital stations? Possibly. But will he do the right thing? What is the right thing? And with a digital schism in commercial radio, what happens next? This is Media Talk from The Guardian. Joining me to discuss all this and more are Ford Ennels, Chief Executive of Digital Radio UK, the body that does exactly what it says on the tin, Matt Deegan, Creative Director of Radio and New Media Consultancy Folder Media, who runs digital-only station Fun Kids, and Scott Taunton, Chief Executive of TalkSport parent UTV Media, which was one of 13 media groups who came out against digital switchover last month. Also with us are Daniel Nathan, founder of Juice FM in Brighton, who's been closely involved in all things digital for many years now, and Mr. Paul Robinson, Media Talk regular and chief executive of the Radio Academy. And as such, he brings everyone together in his warm embrace. Unfortunately, D-Love, star of those digital radio ads, can't make it. He's busy in Birmingham. Well, welcome all. And first up, um, well, possibly discounting your own station, which doesn't really count, I'd just like to ask all of you, have you listened to the wireless today? And if you did, which platform was it? Right, Scott, first up. Well, the problem I've got, John, is that the only station I listened to was, was my own. But I've been listening to Test, Ma- Test Match Special a lot in the last couple of weeks. Is that on DAB or it through is, your iPhone? It is on DAB, yeah. Mr Robinson? Yeah, I listened to Radio 4 and Radio 2 on DAB this morning. Matt? Uh, Radio 1 and actually XFM on DAB. I listened to uh, Talk Sport and Six Music on DAB in my car this morning. That was Ford Annals, I should add. And finally, uh, Daniel Nathan. And I listened to Juice 107.2 on the bedside FM radio and a little bit of the Today programme on Radio 4 on the kitchen FM radio. And then finally, I listened to our own totallyradio.com delivered via the internet. Okay, well, fantastic. A little insight there. DAB did rather well. Then a, a late surge for FM. Well, Ford, if we could start with you, I don't know if you can give us an insight into what Ed Vase is going to say next week. What, what do you think he's going to say? What would you like him to say? Over to you. Ed Vase is going to stand up in front of, I don't know, 300 people on Monday the 16th of December at the Go Digital Conference. I think what he's going to say is the future is digital. Um, he's going to say that the government want to launch phase two of their action plan and they want to continue to plan for a radio switchover. I think they're going to talk about government investment, which is really helpful, government investment in expanding DAB coverage out towards commercial FM equivalents. I think he is going to talk about the uh, launch of D2, of the National Commercial Radio Multiplex, which I think is also good news. But what he will not say, he will not say there's a date for switchover. He will not set a range of dates for switchover. I think what he's going to say is we're not ready. We're on the right path, but we're not ready. 2015, not going to happen, and we're not ready to set dates. We want to set dates down the road, but there's a lot of work to be done. I think 
he and other speakers at the conference will lay out the work that needs to be done. How much of a disappointment is it that we're not going to have a switchover date? I mean, it's not really been anticipated the last few weeks and months, but, you know, go back a, a, a little while and, and people were seriously, you know, asking for a switchover date, set it in stone, get things rolling. You know, I, I think there's, there's mixed feelings. I mean, you know, there's been, I think, a really healthy dialogue, certainly through this year, but particularly in the last six, six weeks. And I think it's very important to make sure that we sustain the, the, the health and success of local stations. We need to make sure that they're comfortable, that their future is secure, whether it be on FM or on DAB. And I think there's more work to be done in that area. And in terms of actually setting a firm date for switchover, I mean, we have had seen a real shift in digital listening up to about 36% now. And obviously, you know, we've seen a shift in terms of digital radio in cars, but there's still a long way to go. And I think all of us around this table would, would absolutely agree that what we want, don't want to do is in planning a digital future, we don't want to lose any listeners on the way. So I think what Ed is effectively drawing a line in the sand, and he said, you know, previously there was an aspirational target of 2015. Guess what? We're not ready for that, but we are on the right course, but we need to do a lot more work. And I think the key thing, though, I think, is just that we do know that that is the future. Because I think if we know it's the future, whenever it happens, that we could all prepare and plan around that. For listeners, you know, consumers, if they're buying a radio and two million people are buying digital radios every, every year, they can make sure they get a digital radio, which has FM in it. If they're buying a car, they can choose to get a, one that's got digital radio fitted as standard. So I think the longer that people know, the less, uh, less burden of cost there will be about any switchover in the future. Scott Taunton, is, is digital radio switchover the future? I think it's interesting to hear what Ford has said because it's changed a lot over the last number of weeks and I think it's it's down to the voice of stations like Juice FM and, and others in actually highlighting a lot of the concerns that exist about digital radio in a way that they haven't been discussed widely up until this point. And our fear was that the Minister was going to make a statement and potentially set a date but almost certainly talk about switchover without actually having worked through a number of issues that have not gone away from, from the time we were discussing the digital economy bill as was and, and, and subsequently the Act. I actually think that the, the minister, and you'll, you'll notice Ford left out a statement about the minister actually saying that we will switch over. I think the minister will say what the minister should always have said, in my opinion, and that is it's up to consumers and we'll have a look. And if the listening patterns and trends change over time, then we can look at switching over. But if that listening pattern and trend doesn't change, and by the way, we've had DAB for 14 years, and actually, you know, DAB set sales peaked in 2008, that actually if those trends don't change, then we may not switch over. And I think that's a very sensible approach for the government, a very good outcome for the industry. And for the avoidance of of any doubt, we will continue to support DAB and promote DAB as a service. But equally, I'm pleased that, you know, it seems likely that AM and FM will continue for some years to come. So, Ford, is that right? Did you deliberately leave out that phrase, there will be a digital radio switchover? Do you think not only will there not be a date, it might not happen at all? No, I, I think you know, the future is clearly digital. If you're the BBC, Bauer, Global, and if you're Absolute Radio and Real and Smooth, you know, the, the major radio groups, they absolutely want to set a path that sees the end of dual transmission. They see it as wasteful and inefficient, and ultimately they want to be on one platform or the other. They think they should be on a digital platform. They think they should be on DAB, and they want the ability, they want government and regulator support to make that transition. So I think the end state, I think, is very, very clear. Ultimately, they will move they will move their stations to being wholly on DAB and other digital platforms. And I think, you know, they want to be able to have enough time to prepare that. So they 
take their listeners with them along on that route. So I, I don't think the end state is, is in doubt, certainly for, for the major radio groups. For smaller stations, community stations, small local stations, you know, it might be different and maybe should be different and maybe, you know, there should be self-determination for those stations. But as far as the major radio groups, they do see their future being on DAB. Daniel Nathan, you're, you're from one of the, the, the smaller radio groups. Tell us what your take on switching well, and digital. I mean, my view is that, and, and I really appreciate this and appreciate some of Ford's words earlier today, that, that really the notion of an imminent switchover is, is effectively dead in the water. None of us around this table are against the idea of a digital future for radio. The two areas, I suppose, I, where I diverge from Ford are the notion that that is one thing or the other. It's very much about it being a multi-platform future and actually... Whether you're an operator, large or small, this has got to be a pragmatic commercial and editorial decision as to when you decide to either jump on or jump off a particular platform. Technology is evolving so quickly, and many of these platforms will atrophy over time. You take a view and move away from it or move on to it at at that point, and it's definitely not something that should be a top-down uh, approach from government. So Matt, you think it could be, uh, well it sounds like uh, the, the message we're getting here is it's going to be a, a, a mixed ecology, don't worry about switchover, it's not going to happen soon, might not happen for, well who knows? Well I think uh, it's, it's, definitely a mixed, it's definitely a mixed ecology and we all listen to radio in, in different ways. You do of course listen to, to radio in some ways more than you do others, so what we know is that digital television, everyone has it, so radio and digital TV's reach is pretty good, but the amount you can listen on it is relatively low because you know, you're competing against EastEnders and neighbours. Um, the one point I'd, I'd probably make is that I think sometimes the radio industry is very guilty of assuming that, that they control the direction, and especially if you're a, a station that was awarded a licence by the government 10 years ago or 15 years ago, one that you have a a right to exist forever in in, in that space. The other thing I think is interesting is the consumer change and and how they're listening to the radio is going to totally affect the viability and profitability of a whole range of different radio stations, both large and small. And if those stations themselves don't develop what their, their product offering is, and that's maybe a radio product or another advertising product, if they're in the advertising business, that switch over or not, you're going to have a, a massive change. And, and what we see when, when we work with radio stations and groups is there are some stations where people actively choose to engage with that content. And for other people, that radio station is their least worst option. Now, that sounds quite negative, but actually that's been quite a successful position to have. You know, that radio station we can all agree on in the office. You know, it's something that not people are searching out for, but it's something which generally satisfies people. But you look at those same people in a digital world, people who listen to more DAB or more internet radio. Well, those least worst options disappear because there are lots of other options for them to choose. So if you want the status quo in any form, that's where the problem's going to be. And if you're a broadcaster who exists in one platform delivering the same product, then all of this change is what's going to really affect you. Daniel? I mean, I think that the the, the thing there is that there can't be anyone that isn't thinking that the whole sector needs to evolve and that we we don't have a digital future. We have a a great future ahead of us. What, What is really heartening about the way the agenda has shifted is that we are putting listeners first again and and that is you know front and center in the minister's statements it, it was there in ford's comments earlier on today when we're looking at the the real challenges that's the kind of growth in so many different ways in which we can consume audio and and radio and the way that it's defined is going to change it's already changed and it is changing in ways that are actually quite difficult to come to terms with and where i agree with matt actually that you know that exponential growth in competition for our ears is an extraordinary thing and we need to reinvent ourselves to fit within that world of smartphones, connected televisions 
digital media, but it, it's just wrong to posit that as, as being just one platform. Our digital future actually will include FM radio and potentially AM radio and any number of other platforms yet to come to market. Paul, uh, let me bring you in here, the Chief Executive of the Radio Academy. The danger is if, the, if the, the prospect of a switchover sort of recedes into the distance, then it's, I mean, the reason people wanted a, a date in the first place was to concentrate people's minds and get people to buy digital radios and get the industry behind it and get manufacturers to making, start making DAB sets at a, a cost that people could afford. If you don't have that date or the prospect of a date, then kind of everything drifts, everything loses focus, and then it's really never going to ha- happen. You've got to force the issue at some point, but the problem is forcing the issue in an environment where there are more than 100 million analogue radios is, is not easy. Yeah, well, I think the first thing that's really encouraging is the, the debate that's been happening in the last few weeks seems to have brought people to a consensus, and that, that's really good. Um, it's also critical this is consumer-led. I mean, listeners are converting to digital, but maybe not at the rate that uh, allows digital switch-off to take place. And, and clearly that decision is, is now receding, and that's, that's a good thing. However, you know, a digital switch-off will uh, encourage certain people to change behaviours, but not at a point where two-thirds of listening is still on AM and FM. You know, there's still too much listening that's not on DAB, on a digital radio. So at some point, a switch-off will encourage that last 20, 25, whatever it is, 30% of people to convert, but not the point where it's two-thirds. Um, I think the other thing to say is that what's really important here is that people who've got digital radio really love it. And if they have got digital radio, they're huge advocates of digital radio. Those who haven't got digital radio think that the analogue stations they've got are good enough. If you ask people, actually, we quite like our radio, and they don't really understand what DAB can do for them. So for me, I think one of the big issues for us is to further convince people who haven't got uh, DAB why DAB might be good for them if they've got the choice. And at the moment, they don't understand all the benefits. Yeah, Ford, I think d- despite your marketing efforts, whenever we read out a story about digital <laughs> radio, you know, often the comments are, you know, almost, I mean, not uniformly, but, you know, 80, 90% negative about DAB, complaining about coverage, saying that FM quality is better. It still seems that, you know, despite um, D Love's glorious efforts uh, on our TVs, particularly in the run up to Christmas and on the radio, a lot of people still don't get digital radio, or, or they think they do get it and they don't want it. Well, I just wanted to comment one of the comments that, uh, that Paul made. And I realise this is, this is shaping up to be a consensual love-in, which probably doesn't give you the best podcast uh, for, for, it's not over yet. for your money. But, yeah, yeah. but uh, j- just a point of clarification, uh, analogue listening is 59.6%, it's not two-thirds. And um, I think it's interesting that analogue listening in home is less than 50%. So there's always been a, a huge shift in listening. And as, as Daniel said, it's consumer-led. I mean, this isn't driven by government. I don't think it's necessarily driven by, by broadcasters threatening consumers. This is consumers choosing to listen on a, on a digital platform. And exactly as Paul says, they, they, they absolutely love it. And the reason why, if you like, analog, what holds, is holding analog listening up is, is cars. We know how important car listening is, and digital radio, DAB in car, is still a very small percent. It's about, about 9 or 10% at the moment in car. And we believe that one of the values of government talking to the car industry and actually laying out a path for the future digital switchover, whenever it is, could be you know seven years ten years away it does help get those car manufacturers to start putting DAB radios in their cars two years ago only five percent of cars had digital radios fit as a standard now it's heading for 42 43 percent so there's been a real shift and we want to sustain that but is it right that only five percent of cars on the road have digital as I said, it's it, it's about it's about according to to Rajar, it's about eight, eight or nine percent of listening. And it's about six or seven percent of cars. Daniel, what do you make it, of love, that statistic? The, the love in and I think ends here. The, the, <laughs> the stats are, I mean, you know, in terms of the best available stats, we see um, it, it's supposedly five percent of cars and actually three percent of what they call the ve- 
vehicle park, including commercial vehicles. So it's actually three. If we're talking about vehicles on the road today, it's three percent. Daniel, I'm very happy to uh, to discuss data. I've got the the, the data of the Society of Motor Manufacturing and Trade in front of me. So let, I mean, let's let's discuss the data. I think where we're agreed on is it's not very much. And it, you know, what we don't want to do is lose any of that listening in car. That's primary listening. It's valuable listening. So I think the efforts for the for the next seven seven to ten years has to be to convert the experience in car to digital. We know they're all launching uh, car manufacturers are launching connected car strategies that will have IP in them. But we don't want you know UK broadcast radio to lose its place in car. And I think getting DAB front and center in cars ought to continue to be a major part of our programme of work. Paul, just coming up, it's not, uh, Ford says, you know, in-car listening is valuable. It's not valuable. I mean, it's just that you cannot ever contemplate switch over until the coverage across the country for DAB matches that currently provided by FM. You can't take people's radio away from their cars. No, you, you certainly can't have people not, not listening to radio. I mean, the, the car thing's interesting. I mean, the cars are important because not so much about the amount of listening, but the reach of cars. I mean, the reach is much higher than the share of listening because the average listening time is lower in car than in home, which is why cars are important. I did the original DAB forecast in 1996 for the BBC when we were making, <laughs> making the case for investment in transmitters to kick start DAB and I remember we said that after 10 years we were going to have a third of households with a DAB radio that's 2006 so we were hopelessly wrong so these things do slip and we shouldn't be ashamed of the fact that these things slip but cars are important and cars were identified then in 1996 by the then BBC head of radio as being a critical component you know Ford is right we've got to get the car percentage up um, and that will be significant in driving DAB and a lot more work needs to go into that so cars big focus yes Scott it's kind of like Groundhog Day. We've been having this conversation about switchover for a decade or more. And the reality is that those around this table and elsewhere continue to say that it will be consumer-led. But I think consumers are voting with their feet already. Those consumers who want to listen to digital services can. And 80% of digital listening is to analog simulcasts on digital anyway. On top of that, you have two-thirds of radios that have been sold in the last 12 months are analogue radios, and that's not including integrated devices in phones and elsewhere. So for the vast bulk of consumers, they prefer the analogue solution. And I take Paul's point that you know when people get into digital radio, they listen longer. But I'm not sure whether that's chicken or egg, that you actually get people who are quite passionate about radio now buying digital radios and therefore listening for longer. Our view has not changed, and that is that DAB and digital radio is an important platform. We broadcast most of our services on those and give consumers choice. But it's folly to be talking about switching off AM and FM when consumers still use it. And Ford, you talk yeah, about. You- I'm, I'm, so I'm really glad that Scott raised those because he's raised those a couple of times on on, on various pieces of coverage before. And um, I just wanted to, to to clarify on a couple of points, just for people who don't maybe understand. One is that when people buy a radio, seventy uh, percent of times they buy a digital radio. Um, so if you talk to John Lewis, if if you talk to Dixon's, if they buy a portable radio that only has radio capability, the data that you're quoting is is GFK data, which Ofcom uses, which includes IP pods which have which has fm capability in them and not often used it includes hi-fi systems um, which have uh, analog as a component but uh, if you look at devices that only are radios the majority of those sold are dab now the other thing is we know we've known from the government research that was done in bath this year we've known from a lot of research that's been done over many years that if you've got if you've got a digital radio if you've got great 
coverage, if you've got robust coverage, you really enjoy the experience. And I don't understand, I really don't understand, uh, why Scott, who has so much of his listening on the DAB platform, would seek to poo-poo the enjoyment and the, and the satisfaction that listeners get from listening to DAB. I haven't done that at all. I've said DAB is great, Forward. Well, let's, let's just talk about, well, just one, one second there, Ford. You said if you've got great coverage, then DAB is great. Well, that's, that's the number of the matter, isn't it? Who's going to pay? Who's going to pick up the bill to expand, uh, roll out the DAB transmitter network to, to match what is currently provided by FM? Commercial radio don't seem too keen. BBC are reluctant to go beyond the next licence fee settlement, and the government's not rolling in cash. So who, who's going to pay? Well, I think, you know, in terms of what you're going to hear from Ed, I mean, exactly as Daniel and Scott have said, I think to some extent the government is stepping back in terms of putting pressure on setting dates and an imminent switchover. They're saying it's the right course, but it's some time away. What they will clarify is the programme of work that will get to FM equivalents, both nationally and locally, and I think they'll also clarify the funding for that. And I think a lot of work has been done over the last six weeks to come to uh, an agreement. I think it's very close, and I'm very hopeful that the Minister will uh, announce the outcome of that on Monday. And if you're stepping back from a switchover day, is that, is that good news for DRUK? Because that means you, your, your, your future is guaranteed for many years to come. Or is, or is, or is, it, or is it bad news because there's not going to be a switchover? So it's good, you know. So we're, we're part of the radio industry. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're funded by the radio industry and the radio groups. Um, we want to do what's best for the radio industry. And I actually do think that taking our time, getting it right, doing it well, not losing any listeners along the way is the right thing to do. But as long as we've got a clear sense of what the end state is. Uh, Matt Deegan. Well, you talk about who, who's paid for, for digital radio and digital radio rollout. Well, we've signed contracts this year for £10 million worth of spend and build out DAB transmitters across the country. And what funds that is a combination of the BBC, uh, when they put their radio stations on, commercial radio, that want to broadcast that way, uh, and new entrants as well. And they're all multiplexes that have great coverage, part because of the replanning work that's partly been kicked off by the, the changes in the second phase of digital radio. And, and I kind of, I sort of disagree with some of the, some of the discussions about coverage absolutely there's more things to do but um if you've got a proper car radio with digital radio it's an amazing experience like literally we drive around the country normal car but with a a line fit installed digital radio it's great and it it wipes the floor of fm i'm not saying that fm should be turned off or that people don't listen on the internet but like from a a volume perspective and it being a great product it's a great product and from people like listening and, and liking stations you know just because the hits exist doesn't make radio for rubbish number one Uh, number two uh, 17 million people have a digital radio i think in the country and 11 million people listen to a service um, that isn't their regular analog station so when we talk about people wanting choice and wanting new opportunities uh, they do they do do that and they listen and they do that through all the platforms both dab internet and digital television i'm always surprised when people say that consumers are happy with the existing media they get because if one bit of experience has shown us surely over the last 20 years uh, it's that uh, consumers would like more choice whether that's on television in newspapers in magazines in the internet and the same with radio uh, they want more choice the last actual full survey of that very question was conducted by ofcom in 2010 when they asked two and a half thousand radio listeners were they happy with the choice of radio stations they had at that point in and what, percentage and, only, of, and what percentage of those listeners already had DAB or listened to well, DTV? I, 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 you don't know. I haven't pulled out that data. Let me give you the response. No, you, you, you only 3% of people that. were unhappy with the choice of radio stations that they had. And 93% were happy. And, and that's know, published in the Ofcom papers yeah, and actually tells you that in the main, people are happy with the radio services that they have. Scott, I mean, come on. 
I accept the points, uh, but nevertheless, you know, I ran TV Switchover in 2005. People were happy having three TV stations. Some of them had five TV stations. They didn't want a plethora of TV stations. They didn't want an EPG. They didn't see the need for extra choice. If you now look at the, the, the research in terms of how satisfied people are with digital television, they're significantly more satisfied. They actually listen, they watch more TV. So I think sometimes I didn't know I wanted, wanted an iPod. I didn't know I needed an iPad. And I think consumers don't understand sometimes you know what is waiting around the corner that's the challenge though isn't it i mean i I think you're right i mean dab is a great experience but people who haven't got dab don't know how great it is and so the the challenge is how do you taxpayer yes unlike television where there was a net benefit to consumers of selling off the spectrum and a digital dividend there is no such benefit to consumers in a radio world to answer john's question from earlier but who pays for this ultimately it's the taxpayer and the consumer mm. that has to pay yeah. by buying new radios and funding a lot of the rollout the other I'd question like to, just like to bring in uh, daniel nathan here there's, there's a big thing here that really uh, i mean coming back to consensus there's a big thing that we're all we're all missing here that the biggest problem that radio has with its digital future is, is really com- coming back to its accountability and its its measurement. Radio needs to be positioned front and centre in the mobile and tablet realm. I hardly need to tell you that sort of worldwide, in seven days, there are more smartphones sold than in 15 years of DAB radio. I don't need to tell you that 1.8 billion phones are sold, 56% of which have FM radio within them. But my point here is that actually we need to think about how radio is then made digitally accountable. And actually DAB in that way is no different from FM or the legacy systems. We need to be actually working together as an industry to work on a common way of measuring that. The good news is that actually as you start to parcel up all of those platforms into these new devices, you start to move towards a hybrid ecology, and that will be the buzzword that everyone will be talking about next year. Ultimately, where we're going with all of that are devices where actually the consumer, the much maligned listener, has absolutely no idea how this content reaches them. It has to be presented elegantly, it has to be effortless and easy to use, but they have ultimately no idea and they care a whole lot less. That's the digital challenge. Is there a bigger picture here? Because the, the big national commercial stations had their licenses rolled over last time round, but that was all tied in with the prospective digital radio switchover date. If switchover doesn't happen, what, what happens to those licenses? Do they, are they, do they go back up for auction? Well, I think there's still some uncertainty around that. So the three national licenses, Classic, um, what is Absolute now, and, and ourselves at TalkSport, um, have licenses that require an auction or a theoretical auction of those of those licenses and the extensions I think run to around 2018 on those licenses and there'll be a dialogue now with government about what happens with those going forward but we've always said that we're very fortunate to have the availability of those frequencies and equally on local radio stations those licenses are, are awarded on a beauty parade basis and have had extensions you know in the main based on carriage on DAB but if those licenses are auctioned off or those licences are awarded, again, in a beauty parade process, well, then we, we will go through that process and we would back ourselves to provide good quality content to consumers, in, be that through our national service or, or local services. And we would be best placed to bid for the TalkSport spectrum, for instance. Um, and we may find that there are other organisations who want to, to bid for the FM frequency on Classic or the AM frequency that Absolute has. And Daniel, you were involved in a, an experiment in Brighton, a sort of low-level, uh, how do I call it, low-level DAB multiplex, which was maybe posited as, by some people as a solution to the challenges for local radio? It was, it was flattering to hear Ford on an earlier programme describing it as a, as, a, as a potential solution for a transition to DAB. What, what that actually delivered 
it was born out of a frustration with the kind of rate card cost we face of, of paying 16 times our FM carriage to be on DAB. We explored the software-defined cheap and cheerful equivalent, and the, and, and the good news was that, yes, it's cheap. The bad news, I suppose, and I think this is something that, that Matt actually referred to in a blog post, is that, that actually this was in best case a top-up technology. It's nice to have. It'd be great to have as part of our portfolio of platforms. It would be great to see experimentation by the whole industry at looking at this at this technology. It's exciting, but the report made it very clear that this would never be a match for FM in a local context. I think the whole industry owes you a, a debt of gratitude, and Daniel, I think it was appropriate that the minister mentioned your name in the House in the, in the recent adjournment debate, because what, what started off you know, as a sort of maverick engineering project, certainly from an Ofcom perspective, I think they are taking it quite seriously, and I think you understand that, and I think the good news is government wants to support it, because government, and if you talk to the minister, he wants to uh, investigate any potential to give small stations a route to DAB, which they don't have, that isn't a clear route today, and in in the coming years, government wants to support the, the further development from Ofcom and, and I guess other areas of investigation as well. So I think the thought at this point is that actually it could be quite serious. It could work, not for everyone. There are licensing and regulatory issues uh, uh, pertaining to it. There are frequency issues, but it could provide a solution for some stations. If we can get together again in perhaps three months' time, the flip side to some of the work that we were looking at in terms of software-defined distribution is actually the, the, the issue of software-defined reception, and this is where I come back. It's a little difficult to grasp, but this is where I come back to the point that actually radio receivers of the very near future will be platform agnostic. At that point, if AM happens to be the most effective way of delivering it, then you use that. If low-cost DAB is part of that, then use that as well. What you don't do is terminate any one of those platforms until such a point as it makes no commercial sense. Paul, the talk's been of sort of a mixed ecology of, of uh, analog lying alongside digital, and uh, uh, you know everyone enjoying them together. H- how realistic is that? Um, I thought the, the perils of dual transmission was something that commercial radio wanted to be rid of as, as soon as possible. Can you see the two existing side by side long into the future? Well, certainly in the next few years, that is the future. I think there's no doubt about that, and I think there's generally an agreement that is the case. I guess the issue for commercial radio is it is paying twice. It's paying for analog and digital, and I guess the question would be, what could it do if it reinvested that money into maybe content or something else? Maybe it improves its profits or it can improve its content, and that is an issue for commercial radio particularly, which I think has had a long road, hasn't it? A long road of having to pay twice and would like to end that, to that dual cost. That's the challenge, isn't it, Matt? Investing in content, because you're doing it at Fun Kids, but not everyone else's. Certainly not necessarily the big, some of the big players. One of the problems with the modern world is there are lots of platforms and there are lots of ways to, to distribute content, be it written content, video, whatever, and there is, you only have a certain amount of money to go around. Uh, and what a new entrant would do is they would uh, have a look at all of those options, look at which ones will generate the more audience of revenue, and they would pick them. Uh, and I think we will start to see that in radio. And I know that Scott's talked about being very happy to pay dual transmission for talk sport. I think we might see absolute, I mean, talking to the absolute guys, be interesting what Bauer does. But they've kind of questioned whether actually when they, they look at their own numbers, whether that is, is so relevant. And I think what we will see across a whole range of platforms, and digital TV is a great example of this. Some stations do well on digital TV and get a decent audience. It tends to be the younger down market stations. Um, the older stations tend to do less well as people listen uh, on DAB. So some people might come off digital television. It's not because they don't believe in a, a certain digital future. It's just they look at their business. I think that's that's the transition. Well, Redstone Red FM is interesting, isn't it? Redstone FM, you know, on the Surrey Multiplex is going to be targeting older listeners, 45 plus, and they're going for a DAB solution and giving Roger Day a home. Hurrah. Yeah, 
and, and so Redstone are on one of our multi- uh, are on our multiplex. Sorry, multiplex, and they're a new entrant, uh, and it's kind of quasi community as well. And they may make a success of that, or they may not make a success of that. But there's a great option for them. And that's Scott, great. one word to you until we, and then I'll wrap things up. Uh, well, I, mean, I think Matt's absolutely right. That, that st- some stations will choose to be on both platforms and others won't. I think it's important that we understand when we talk about dual transmission, the current levels of DAB carriage leave us with a situation where we are paying twice, essentially. But to roll out DAB to FM equivalents will triple the cost of DAB to broadcasters as well. So, so actually, we need to be very careful what we wish for. In a DAB-only world with full coverage, the transmission costs are higher than they are now. Okay, one last question for all of you. I'm sure, I'm sure Ed Vasey is sat in his office right now uh, working on his speech. But if you have one line, uh, one sentence of advice uh, for the great man, uh, what would it be? Uh, I ask, uh, I'm slowing that question down to give you more time to think about it. There you go. I hope that's enough. Is that enough time? Right, uh, quick answers, all of you, please. One word, if you fancy. Uh, Daniel Nathan. Thank you for reconsidering um, the whole affair of switchover and letting us pause for breath. It's time to let the industry, as we've seen today, work around a consensus, and then we'll work towards a, a digital future together. Ford Annals? Um, you know, government continues to plan for a future s- switchover, but it needs to wait until we're ready. We're not ready yet, um, and I think he needs to reinforce that that is the path. He needs to confirm that government are prepared to invest, invest in the, local, in the build-out of local DAB coverage, but also to reinforce that we are on the right path. Uh, Matt Deegan? I think a lot of it's about nudges. It's about providing um, good reasons and good certainty uh, for what's going to happen. So that's like a tick mark uh, for digital radio so that people will know that it will be able to get future devices and potentially still analogue radio. Um, It's about a second national multiplex saying there's going to be more choice. Um, And also it's saying that if you're going to get a radio, the digital radio one um, is what you should do. Uh, Scott Taunton? Well, subject to what he actually says on Monday, we're all assuming that it's going to go in much the way we've said. But I think um, the Minister has done exactly what we would have liked to have done, and that is to listen to all of the parties concerned. And, and what we would say to him, as we have throughout the process, is don't forget all layers of radio, including including the smaller commercial radio stations, because they produce great local content for consumers who really want that. And Paul Robinson, it's time for that warm embrace I mentioned earlier. Um, OK, warm embrace then. So digital radio is the future. For the moment, though, let a thousand flowers bloom. Right, on that note, on that beautiful note, uh, my thanks to all our guests, who were Scott Taunton, Paul Robinson, uh, Matt Deegan, Ford Annals, and Daniel Nathan. Thank you very much. Well, that's it for this week. We've left Rebecca Nicholson in her lair, or if truth be told, she's been out shopping for a DAB radio for Christmas. And next week it will be a Christmas special, which in the spirit of the Christmas TV schedules will be a repeat of last year's. I'm joking, of course. It will, of course, be a Christmas cracker. Media Talk is produced by Mr Matt Hill. And please discuss all things DAB on our blog, or you can tweet me at johnplunkett149. Thanks for listening. For more great downloads, go to theguardian.com audio. Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, providing creative tools that help you bring your ideas to life. Squarespace offers free domain names, customizable designs, drag-and-drop tools, and 24-7 support. Squarespace also offers seamless e-commerce solutions for you or your small business. Every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website, so your content will look brilliant on any device. Start your free trial today, no credit card required. As a Guardian podcast listener, you'll get 10% off your new account by using the offer code GUARDIAN.